The Curmudgeon Rock Report. Curmudgeon rhymes with bludgeon. Rock gods do it right. So do rock nerds. We're here for The Rock. 1965, 2021, doesn't matter. Crude, rude, yet somehow sophisticated. Welcome. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode four of the Curmudgeon Rock Report. Uh, my name is Christopher O'Connor, uh, coming to you uh, live from a ridiculously frozen uh, Houston, Texas area. And on the other side of the line, as usual, is uh, Arturo Andrade to add uh, mirth, merriment, and uh, maybe some excrement all the way from Guangzhou, South Korea. So uh, uh, give it up for uh, the people there, Arturo. Yeah, um, it's pretty cold and snowy here in South Korea as well. Uh, We got blitzed yesterday, and we're getting a little bit more today, not as much. But uh, yeah, it's it's weird how... um, it's cold and snowy over there just as it is over here. And we're like thousands and thousands of miles away from each other. Yeah, go figure. Although it, it's a little bit pitiful because as I've told uh, listeners before, I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and actually Arturo and I met 27, 28 years ago at Syracuse University. And so here we are, it's like 25 degrees, 30 degrees, and it's chilly. And so up in Syracuse, we would just call that just another uh, plain old Wednesday uh, uh, in late February here, it means millions of people without power, broken, uh, water mains and, and, and burst pipes and people that are shivering to death. And, uh, you know, my fiance works at a, uh, a, a dialysis clinic as a social worker, and she's got a whole bunch of patients that need to go to the emergency room because the dialysis center has no power and has been without power for four, uh, for, for four days. So, uh, folks, Government, it's not good. It's not bad. It's necessary. You know, uh, this is the one day <laughs> yeah. I, I've been down here for about four years, and this is the only time that I can say that I'm embarrassed to live in Texas since I've been down here. So, anyway, that's not rock and roll. Uh, let us uh, get back to the rock. Uh, tell us, okay. Arturo, what is, what is your album recommendation for this week on the Curmudgeon Rock Report? My contemporary album recommendation is an album that came out last year. It's the debut album by a British group called Working Men's Club, self-titled album also. It's just called Working Men's Club. And while in the last, I'd say 10, 15 years, we just, we've had like this this huge rush of of retro 80s synth pop artists that are just basically regurgitating the same retro 80s synth pop rubbish <laughs> for years but what makes this band different even though they do uh, reference and mine the same field of influences like other bands that have been doing retro 80s synth pop for the past 10-15 years you can hear Depeche Mode, you can hear New Order, you can hear Cabaret Voltaire which is a really big touchstone for this band but the two things that separate them from other retro 80s synth pop stylists is number one there's a really mean, dark, angry edge to their music and their lyrics. Um, really dystopian worldview, really dark and cynical. And the second thing that separates them from other retro 80s synth pop stylists 
is that is relentlessly funky and danceable and catchy. <laughs> uh, a lot of retro 80s synth pop isn't that. This band brings the funk. And they have a rock in what they do, especially the last song, which is like this 10-minute opus, almost prog rock. But most of it is just really hard cabaret Voltaire-driven. Actually, more cabaret Voltaire than New Order and Depeche Mode. It's heavier on that, which explains the angry, dark edge um, to their music and to their lyrics. Um, but this band really, really does a good job of knocking it out of the park. With It's just in, intensely catchy, intensely funky, dark, and heavy. So I highly recommend Working Men's Club. Um, there's also a, a bit of industrial. It, 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 it inches, I would say, echoes of industrial. Maybe a little bit of Nine Inch Nails from a distance. But um, this band really, really brings it. And um, uh, there's the new wave of quote-unquote post-punk UK bands. I think they're the best, in my personal opinion. Wow, that's some strong words. And uh, just out of curiosity, you, you didn't think the uh, the Killers were funky? I really don't like the Killers. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that, that was meant as a joke. Uh, <laughs> I can't stand Brandon Flowers' music. I think they're just, to me, the Killers are just watered-down, kitsch, retro 80s synth-pop garbage. It's right. just crap the killers well you know i mean i can disagree with you there i mean look i was i was joking because they're they're the least funky band that i could think of i mean they're you know they're they're funky the same way that i'm a puerto rican woman uh, they're mormon <laughs> yeah but uh they're actually i actually do like hot fuzz i mean that's actually a really good record so um anyway uh definitely check out working men's uh club uh yeah, I get excited when I hear a good good eighties funk done in twenty twenty. So that 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 really pumps my nads. So uh, thank you, Arturo. And uh, speaking of of nad pumping, my uh, my, nads, my my nads were uh, sufficiently pumped when I first heard that album. <laughs> all right, yeah, I can tell you grew four inches. All right, so on, <laughs> on that note, here is my uh, uh, contemporary album recommendation of the week. Uh, this is from uh, a trio of very young dudes from Toulouse, France. Uh, the name of this band is Slift, and uh, their album is Uman, and uh, sort of speaks to the work that uh, we all need to put in to, to find these really great bands. If you go to allmusic.com, which professes to be the encyclopedia uh, of music. And, you know, we've been using that for, uh, years and years and years as a reference point, uh, shout out to Stephen Thomas Earlwine, by the way, who's a very good writer on that site. Uh, you go there and nothing. There's literally is no information about, uh, Swift or Uman. So this is sort of, uh, uh, under the radar, but it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's modern day, uh, prog rock. So it's, it's this very spacey, very proggy, uh, chugging uh, workout of a record. Um, yeah, it's it's very much uh, in the spirit of uh, rock and roll sci-fi, and so you know, modern contemporaries would be like uh, King uh, Gizzard and the Living and the uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting I'm getting, uh, I'm getting lizard wizard. Yeah, the lizard wizard. Yeah, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, uh, and uh, and right. the OCs. And uh, some of those other space bands. Uh, here's a differentiator, though. 
Uh, these guys have clearly studied their very early 70s British uh, proto-metal and uh, space rock uh, bands of that era. And so if you listen to it, uh, try to picture uh, Hawkwind and Deep Purple on a 18-minute stoned out of their minds jam. And then, oh, by the way, they just decided to invite yeah. David Gilmore to play the guitar. Uh, it's a very wacky mix. It's a very fun mix. And I would encourage folks to uh, search out this record, if only to pull it up on YouTube. And yet the, the full album is available on YouTube, if only for the album cover. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube comments of all time. This is one of the best uh, YouTube comments I've ever seen that says, man, this album sounds like, you know, like, or, you know, like you would expect an album with that cover to sound like. So basically it's a silver <laughs> surfer looking dude in outer space with like, you know, he's uh, lunging on the uh, surface of this planet with all kinds of like space dust and uh, like sort of like melting space uh, stuff uh, floating all around him. Uh, but, but again, like I said, so the album, it's essentially one long song, but it's just, it's great. It's just nonstop fuzz and uh, whack out uh, uh, lead guitar. And it just shows that the boys from France still have access to the really, really good rock and roll. Can't recommend it more highly enough. Um, as uh, Arturo and I have been joking for 20 years, this one would probably pass the green test times, what, at least 20, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, it, it would be it would be an, an, an off-the-charts green test superstar. So, uh, again, the name of the band is Slift. Uh, the name of the record is Uman. I also recommend looking up a performance they did on Seattle's KEXP, which uh, may be the one station in America that's keeping this kind of rock and roll alive. So... Uh, big ups to KEXP right. and Swift and Uman. So uh, there are our contemporary uh, recommendations of the week. Definitely go check them out. Now, uh, we, let's get into this episode. Are you ready for this, Arturo? We, uh, this is the end I'm of ready. The, cow, uh, the Cow Polk Road. We are ending our bovine trilogy with part three. And before we get going... And basically, with the first episode, uh, we were basically talking about sacred cows. Uh, these are artists, bands that we think are ridiculously overrated by both critics and or fans. The second one was uh, the old cows that need to be put out to pasture. Basically, these are bands, artists who really should stop making music because they suck now. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. We, we put, you know, we crucified... Neil Young, Bruce Springsteen, U2, The Stones, Dylan, artists that we generally love, but they just suck now. There was a lot of negativity in these last two episodes. But yes, there was. For this episode, we're bringing the positive energy because this yes, we are. The final episode of the final installment of this bovine trilogy is Old Cows Still Making Good Milk. Basically, these are bands and artists uh, that we love. And who are older, or at least older than us, because <laughs> we're in our mid-40s, and they're still making good music. So nothing but positivity and warmth to come out of today's episode. 
No, ab- absolutely. And to, to riff on something that Arturo hit upon on last episode, you uh, uh, too has gotten to the point where you just can't believe in Santa Claus anymore. Well, uh, these bands are proof that, damn it, maybe you actually can believe in Santa, that, that, that you know, that, that, that good things can come down the chimney and you'll wake up with a warm uh, with a warm feeling with like cookies and milk on the uh, on the dining room table. And so, you know, some of these artists uh, will still bubble that up. And, and, and like I said, these folks, uh, you know, interestingly enough, you know, define an old cow in the modern uh, in the modern music world. And so we'll we'll be have a lot to say on that particular subject. But yeah, no, looking forward to this because, you know, you know, out of the gate, if anybody thought that we were actually trying to compete with podcasts like your favorite band sucks, uh, no, not necessarily, but uh, we are honest. Uh, we are brutal. Uh, we, we're probably funny motherfuckers too, but, uh, but, we, but we keep it real. And uh, we're, sometimes we'll go negative and then sometimes we'll go positive. So all is well in the world, correct? We're not, we're not in the business of having controversial, unpopular opinions just to draw attention to ourselves. If we have opinions that are controversial and unpopular, it's because we really believe it. Absolutely. Yeah, no bullshit. Uh, we, we, we are a no bullshit operation. So uh, that, that is definitely definitely for sure. So uh, we're, we're, we're looking forward uh, to this. And uh, one of our criteria, coincidentally, uh, was that these are folks that have been active in the uh, near uh, past. You know, and so like w- within the last year or two. Uh, you know, there were a couple of bands and I'll throw one out there that were uh, we considered for uh, inclusion. Uh, one of those bands was Spoon. However, Spoon has not done anything since 2017. And I believe just put out a greatest hits record, which is never a good sign. Uh, so we skipped them. Uh, <laughs> another one that I considered was Steve Earle. Um, the only problem there is that his most ref- recent record was a tribute uh, album to his son, Justin Towns Earle, who died tragically last year. And while it's probably the best stuff that Steve's done in a long time, it ain't his stuff. So I couldn't quite go there. Uh, any Anyone almost make your cut that didn't quite make your cut, Arthur? No. The, all, the, the five that I wanted to talk about are the ones that immediately came to mind. And yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> there aren't that many older bands and artists out there that are still making uh, good music. I, I have to admit, I mean, we... We, we struggled to complete my five and your five. It was a bit of a, uh, for you, especially for you, because it was oh, really yeah. hard. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Really- I mean, and, and, and it'll be fun because I'm going to start my list with the one that I struggled to come up with the most, or at least <laughs> the number five, but should have been the most obvious one from the beginning. So that's, that's a little bit of a hint, hint, wink, wink. The Curmudgeon Rock Report isn't actually brought to you by Zencaster but it would probably suck a whole lot more if we didn't use this excellent podcasting service. Arturo lives in South Korea. Chris lives in Texas. We needed audio recording software that could record both of our voices natively, securely, cleanly, and professionally. We wanted to avoid Zoom like we would avoid Ed Sheeran. Zedcaster made that possible. With Zencaster, we each use one track to capture our vocals through our computers. Then we upload the individual tracks into Zencaster's built-in post-production engine. Finally, we export the combined, smooth track out to finish editing each episode. Zencaster works awesomely well for recording your interviews with guests, too. So visit Zencaster.com now 
and start doing your remote audio way better today. Well, welcome back to the Curmudgeon Rock Report. We're going to get into our old cows still making good milk. And of course, as usual, we'll start with mine. My list of the five bands, artists still making uh, good milk. Are you ready, Chris? Yeah, hit me with what you got, my, my uh, brother. Go, on, go <laughs> on ahead. All right. Number five. And this will be an interesting one because um, a couple, what was it, the previous episode, two episodes ago, you ranted on pavement. Well, guess what? My number five old cow still making good music is Pavement's former frontman, lead singer, lead songwriter, Stephen Malkmus. Big shock. <laughs> hey, man, if you're going to take shots at Pavement, I got to come back with something. And this is what I'm coming back with. Yes. Hey, fair, fair. Stephen Malkmus is still making good music. Which is interesting because this argument is mainly based on his most recent album from last year, which is called uh, Traditional Techniques. Whereas his previous album, before Traditional Techniques, was basically a cheesy, kitsch attempt at lame and overdone retro 80s synth pop. Um, this album explores territory that he's hinted at in the past, both in his solo work and in his days with Pavement particularly the country folk patches of Wowie Zowie and Terror Twilight. This album, Traditional Techniques, came out last year. It's this slightly psychedelic, nearly acid folk rock with traditional Turkish folk instrumentation. I know that just sounds wacky and maybe not so good, but he, but he makes it work here. Um, this album could have easily come out in the early 1970s. And Malcolmus has always had a, a even though he's a, defiantly anti-hippie he's always had a, a predilection for hippie rock and he's always shown it in pavement especially in the long guitar solo segments in some of their albums especially you know wowie zowie and terror twilight um the witty acerbic lyricism that he's usually known for is actually pared down in this album in favor of insightful character studies and ruminations of what the baby boomer generation has left us which is mostly crap. <laughs> uh, to quote Robert Christgau, one of my favorite music critics of all time, this is his take, this is his take on, 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 uh, on Malkmus and, and his last album. Quote, it's more than cool, as it had better be, that he's matured from willfully acerbic to willingly pretty, but he's too smart not to know in, in his heart that he's proud to have what, that proud, proud to have that while acerbic feeds on chaos, pretty is better off explaining itself. And this That's is one. Chris Gow taken from the, his consumer guide column on Substack. So based on this album alone, I still claim Stephen Malkmus, the great Stephen Malkmus, is still making quite good milk, even though it has a Turkish flavor to it now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. Imagine that. And and again, you know, like I said, I, I ragged on Malkmus a couple of uh, weeks ago, which had more to do with the iconography than the music. Uh, I actually, you know, it's interesting to me that that you know his guitar stuff was more subtle during Pavement, and he would have you know some good uh, solos here and there. But he's he's really let loose as a guitarist in his solo uh, his solo stuff at times. Uh, you know, surprisingly yeah. enough, he actually. Uh, does have uh, does have those chops uh, and again yeah for as much as he make might make me want to barf and actually that uh, 
that line from Chris Gow is basically how I feel this, this, you know, this willfully acerbic, but then again, I would also make the argument that he was willfully acerbic while also being willfully pretty, which is why all the guys wanted to be him so that they could fuck all the girls that wanted to fuck him. So anyway, his uh, best guitar, his best guitar work on his solo in his solo career is from the 2008 album Real Emotional Trash, which I think is his best solo album. Yep, good cow, uh, still good milk. Uh, you know, comparative com- compared to a lot of uh, uh, his peers, uh, Malcolmus, I guess, is still going. So uh, damning with faint praise there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Arturo, take it away with number four. Number four, and this is one of my favorite bands actually over the years. Old Kyle still making good music. The Meat Puppets. Yay. A band that neither of us would have known if not for Nirvana. <laughs> the Unplugged. I, I think that's, that's you, me, and about five million people. Exactly. Of all the indie slash alternative bands that emerged from the U.S. underground in the 1980s, it's hard to find a band whose catalog is consistently as good and as rich as The Meat Puppets. Except for another band that will be mentioned later in my list. Oh, uh, while their last album from two years ago, 2019's Dusty Notes, that showed signs of the band slowing down, you know, the vocals dragging, the band sounding tired and recycled. The previous three leading up to that showed the Kirkwood brothers not only in fine form, but also expanding their sound. Um, you had, you know, Sewn Together from 2009. Shows them focusing on their country folk bluegrass influences and is heavy on ballads. Um, Lollipop from 2011 sees them delving into short, concise, hooky pop songs, which has always been one of the Meat Puppets' greatest strengths, believe it or not. And uh, Rat Farm from 2013 uh, delves into swirling psychedelia and progressive rock, you know, angular riffs, labyrinth song structures odd time signatures, and they do a great job of it. Uh, And at the same time, they maintain their heady signature mix of punk, 1970s ZZ Top style boogie rock, country folk, and loopy, trippy psychedelia. Uh, The Meat Puppets, they're in a a purple patch right now. Ever since um, uh, Chris Kirkwood uh, joined his brother Kurt in the band, and rejoined them, I think, in the in, in the noughties, in the mid to late noughties. And they're still making great music. And they would still be touring and out there rocking on if it weren't for coronavirus. So, yes, Meat Puppets still kicking ass. Yeah, I, I will definitely agree uh, with Arturo on that one. And they're, they're kind of, you know, in, in the last episode, I, uh, I made the line about Mick Fleetwood. So long that Mick Fleetwood is still alive and kicking, there will always be a Fleetwood Mac for better. Yeah. And, and these days are much worse. Uh, same thing with the meat puppets. They'll always be, there will always be a meat puppet song as Kirk Kirkwood is still, uh, is still around. Uh, as Arturo said, Chris Kirkwood, uh, and he landed in prison for a few years. He was badly hooked on heroin and actually he got hit by a car and he had all kinds of issues there for a while. But, uh, you know, Kirk Kirkwood was able to keep the, the band going. I saw them in New York in 2001 at a small club, which was, uh, Kirkwood and a bunch of young guys and they just bashed the heck out. So it was a good show. And, uh, I agree. I mean, the consistency is there. I mean, and just back to back meat puppets too, and up on the sun, uh, are both just remarkably good records and just really, uh, unique. And, uh, no one in that era could make an acoustic guitar, 
uh, sing quite like Kirk Kirkwood. Um, and just these remarkable, not just pop songs, but they're almost kind of like this, um, like uh, folk from outer space, you know, like, you know, even some of the instrumentals like Aurora Borealis and, and some of those albums. So, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's a good call. Kirk Kirkwood is uh, if it hadn't have been uh, for uh, Nirvana and remember, so they ended up making a whole bunch of money off of Too High to Die because of that. Um, right. Uh, because of Great that. Album too. Very, very, very strong album. But, uh, you know, basically Kirk Kirkwood would still be in the um, the uh, 50 people in the stands, uh, you know, indie reverence uh, scene from, you know, still probably kicking around uh, Phoenix clubs if not for that, but eh, so what, you know, the guy is, is one of the foremost, uh, 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 talents of that, uh, of that, uh, uh, dawn of the indie rock era. So more power to him. Right. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So that's the meat puppets. Now onward to number three, the, another band of that same, a little younger than the meat puppets and band number three, Cow still making good milk, Dinosaur Jr., the other seminal indie alternative band on this list that emerged from the U.S. underground in the 1980s. Neil Young, who's basically Jay Maskus, the guitar player, singer, his chief influence, Neil Young once said his music and his overall catalog is just one long song. The same could be said for Dinosaur Jr. It's just one long guitar solo. <laughs> you know, um, Dinosaur Jr.'s music, then and now, can be described as punk rock loudness, noise, and aggression, plus classic rock guitar soloing, plus folk rock song structures, plus the professional and artistic integrity of hardcore punk, which is where they came from, really, in their background. Uh, after the original lineup uh, was dispatched, you know, drummer Murph and the bassist Lou Barlow went on to form Sebado. Uh, Mascus went with a revolving lineup band that still produced awesome albums throughout the 1990s. You know, 93's Where You Been with Start Shopping and Get Me. 1993's Out of Sound with Feel the Pain. Um, 1997's Deeply Personal, Handed Over with like an awesome single. Not a single, but it should have been. Nothing's going on. And then the original lineup with Barlow and Murph on drums reformed in the mid-2000s, the mid-naughties, and, as expected, released a string of sterling exemplary alt-rock tastiness that continues to this day. 2007's Beyond, 2009's Farm, in my opinion, the best of the bunch, 2012's I Bet on Sky, and 2016's Give a Glimpse of What You're Not, which is their most recent one. All these albums are great. And it's, 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 it's the same Dinosaur Jr. formula, but getting better and better, oddly enough. In a 2016 interview with Mojo, Lou Barlow said, quote, we're working on perfecting something here. And he's right. Like, they, they just keep, they keep continuing to be a great band with great songs and just great musicianship. Big shout out to Dinosaur Jr., a band that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Yeah, I, and I actually agree with Arturo on that last statement, and uh, that's actually a heartwarming uh, quote from Lou Barlow uh, yeah. that we're we're aiming for perfection, even though what they're thirty five years removed from their their origin story. 
Yeah. So that's that's pretty yeah. inspiring. And and like you said, they never really uh, dropped off. I mean, Dinosaur Jr. just does not get the due that that it deserves. I've, I've come to the conclusion. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I you know, I discovered Jay Maskus in, late in high school and in college and immediately was like, OK, that guy's an awesome uh, guitarist, you know, with like, you know, feel of pain and stop. Char- you know, all of the. Um, uh, the MTV uh, 120 minute stuff with him, just like, you know, all these great solos. But then you also don't realize, or I didn't realize until I went back a few years later and I discovered this, uh, this stuff, uh, you know, you're living all over me and bug and some of those things that they are without them. You probably don't get grunge. Uh, exactly. They're a touchstone band for grunge and all alternative rock. They really are. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's incredible because I I I swear you know I took a listen to them and I'm hearing Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Built to Spell. I'm hearing Slater Kinney. Uh, yeah. Just you know basically uh, Sludge Feast and the Long. Those two mm-hmm. songs alone give birth yeah. to Seattle. Without the yeah. songs, you don't get anything that we know as Seattle uh, today. It's 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 kind of yeah. remarkable, and and that's the thing. You know, he's he's one of these guys. He's a, a tremendous player, but a tremendous craftsman. Uh, I mean, I mean, come on, he sounds like a frog. I mean, he always has, and so you know, so you know, you don't want him crooning Sinatra songs or or, or singing at your wedding, but so what? Uh, that's that's one of the the beauties of, of it. So yep. Yeah. Uh, there another case, you know, Jay Maskus and Kirk Kirkwood, uh, and uh, you know, they joined the guys like Bob Mould and all of that. That there was just these uber talented guys that sprung up in the early and mid uh, '80s. So so long as they're alive, they'll always be producing pretty good stuff, or they'll always be interesting. So uh, let's give it up for Jay Maskus. All right, and then we move on to number two on uh, my list of old, old cows still making good milk. And this one is really obscure. Uh, Malkmus, Meat Puppets, Dinosaur Jr., they never really were multi-platinum bands, but they have huge reputations. And they're well-known in the music uh, world and among music journalists and bands and artists. This one, my number two, is really obscure. And his name is Kelly Stoltz. He's been around since at least the early noughties, possibly the 1990s. He's from the Bay Area. And his early work, best exemplified in 2006's Below the Branches, sounds like a hybrid of Wilco and Electric Light Orchestra as produced by Brian Wilson. <laughs> that's what Kelly Stoltz's early work really sounds like. Wow, that, but, sounds, that sounds remarkably precious. <laughs> yeah. Well, since 2013, he's been on a hot streak that has seen him produce his best work and he's changing and evolving in his older age. Um, 2013, he put out an album called Double Exposure, which delves into lush, almost cinematic California psychedelia. Um, 2015, he put out In Triangle Time, in my opinion, one of the best albums of the decade that heavily flirts with late 1970s Berlin trilogy Bowie bringing angular art pop and electronic textures to the surface. And his most recent albums, um, 2017's Keaura, 2019's My Regime, last year's Ah, etc., are remarkably consistent and excellent with their tantalizing mix of 1960s psychedelia, 1970s new wave pop, and 
subtle underpinnings of funk and electronica. And up until the coronavirus, he was a member of Echo and the Bunny Men's touring band. So <laughs> there you go. So uh, shout out to Kelly Stoltz. Uh, probably, probably our age, but that still makes him old. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, you know, it, yeah, it, 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 it's all relative uh, these days. Uh, you know, it, that's the thing that scared me most about coming up with this episode is we're considering artists and bands that, if they're not a little bit older than us, then they are actually contemporaries. Uh, and, yeah, and, and Kelly Stoltz is there, and I'll admit I'm not as familiar uh, as Arturo uh, with him, but he's always been uh, kind of fun. The the top result, if you uh, look him up on YouTube, is his video for Kimchi Taco Man. Uh, Great song. Which is a fun song, yep. And uh, I will say this, though, uh, to, you know, which is one of these tragic things that, like, yeah, these old cows that are making good milk, uh, some of them are, are hard to find because Spotify, he's, there's only one of his albums that are available, uh, that's available on uh, Spotify, and that is Antique Glow from 1999. Uh, and uh, yep. the, the top of one of those. Go is, on YouTube. If you want to hear. Yep. Go on like, YouTube. Just go on YouTube. <laughs> yep. Like most, like most everything else these days with music, if you want to uh, access it. Uh, everybody's got an e- a Vivo channel or they've got their own channel. And so music pretty much lives on YouTube uh, these days. So, yeah, definitely. Hey, we're on a roll. I, I like this. You know, you know, it's, hey, I agree. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, going back and forth <laughs> on each other. No, it's, it's, it's a nice touch. So. We actually, we actually like people. <laughs> yeah. Go, 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 go figure. And if you, and if you disagree with us, go fuck yourself. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Now we move on. My number one old cow still making good milk. And this is, we're going to the South here. Good old Southern rock, the good old Southern rock of the drive-by truckers. And hey. they, they are, since the late 1990s, the truckers have made a case for themselves as possibly being one of America's 10, maybe even five best bands. And, and, and may actually have a good argument for, for best band. Yeah. Their incredibly consistent catalog really backs that case up. For those of you who don't know the drive-by truckers, or is, I think it's just drive-by truckers, no artists. Yeah, it's drive-by truckers, no the. No the, okay. Basically, they're literate Southern rock for smart people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Go figure. Both, yeah, both of Patterson Hood's parents were, are college professors, their trademark sound is basically Leonard Skinner make peace with Neil Young and Crazy Horse in a barrage of heavy riff rock and character vignettes, character studies in their lyrics that examine the lives of down and out, struggling, working class and poor people. And that lyrically, imagine transplanting the kinks Ray Davies eulogies for a long gone genteel England and his laments of an unfair socioeconomic class system. Transplant that to the American South. And that's basically lyrically what drive-by truckers are all about. And there's why I make the case for them still making good milk. Well, with American Flag, the album they released in 2016, which as we now know is a, a pivotal year in American history, they got political. And they toned down the Rafola bluster, turned up the R&B soul pianos, and documented the far-right turn of right-wing conservatives, especially in the South. 
on that album, just song after song tackles gun control, mass shootings, hatred of immigrants, and obscene jingoistic patriotism. The key track on that album is Once They Band Imagine, where Mike Cooley, the other guitarist singer in the band, reminds us that knee-jerk extremist ignorance isn't new to America. After all, John Lennon's timeless hymn to peace and brotherhood was banned in some radio stations in the South because of the line, imagine there's no heaven. This was 1971. And you know stuff like this, this kind of sentiment still exists and rages, was raging in 2016. So it helped got, you know, get Trump in office, right? And this was released before Trump was elected. Uh, for their tour of that album, they put Black Lives Matter stickers on their guitars and their equipment. Yep. And the tour focused on bars and clubs in the fucking South. Okay. Yep. <laughs> That's what you call balls, guts, and respect to the to drive-by truckers. Then in 2020, they released the follow-up, The Unraveling. And as the title suggests, it, it, it tackles the aftermath of the disaster of Trumpism. Um, the song Thoughts and Prayers may be the strongest, angriest, anti-gun, anti-NRA, anti-gun nut rebuke ever written. I mean, with the chorus of stick it up your ass with your thoughts and prayers. Cannot get more succinct than that. <laughs> you know? No, 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 you cannot. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, too, admire Patterson Hood. Uh, yeah. So uh, his story is actually more more interesting than Arturo let on. Uh his father, David Hood, was actually in the Muscle Shoals uh, band that, uh, you know, that uh, was a lot of the uh, R&B artists of that era, uh, the, uh, the 60s and early 70s. They would pass through Muscle Shoals to uh, record. And so there was a house band there and David Hood uh, was was in that band. So Patterson Hood actually grew up in and around uh, uh, the music of that era. And he actually is from Alabama. And, uh, yeah, it, it amazes me because, uh, the truckers kind of broke out. Now they had been around for a long time, uh, but they broke out with, uh, two albums back to back, um, about 20 years ago in 2000 or 2001, I believe it was, they did Southern rock opera, which the first, it's a double album. The first album of it is fucking mind blowing. Um, and this right. was this was it's a kind of a rock opera. It's a it's a concept record about growing up in Alabama around the same time that the Skinner plane crash happened. And so to make their point about it, uh, they that was the first time that they went three guitarists ever. Uh, they had been two guitars until then, and they pulled it off like remarkably well. Um, so great album there. Uh, so check that out. And then they followed it up with Decoration Day, and uh, there's one. Yeah, that's that, their best. That's their best record, and uh, this is where uh, Jason Isbell was in the band for like two or three records, yeah. and this yeah. is where he first comes in. And for as good as Patterson Hood is, he ain't as good as Isbell. Uh, Isbell, really? uh, Isbell's remarkable. I mean, the two best songs on Decoration Day are Isbell songs. Our outfit. And- I disagree. I, I, I think Patterson Hood is the songwriting giant of that band. Oh yeah, well no, he he's he's brilliant, but he ain't Isbell. I'm saying uh, I've always been. It's it's remarkable, and it, it's all it's almost like an asterisk at this point for the band because their history is so rich and they've been so good for so long. But you can look back and say, well, hey, you know, Isbell got his start in that band. Oh, and he did Outfit and Decoration Day, 
which are the two best songs on that record. Um, uh, a close, uh, very, very close competitor is Sinkhole. That's my other uh, favorite. Um, uh, that's my favorite Patterson Hood uh, song from there. I mean, that, and that, that, that's sort of political too, because that's about the death of the, the family farm. Um, yeah. And so uh, they've always been political, but they've gotten edgier. They've gotten sharper. They've gotten angrier. Hood has gotten to be a much better songwriter. Uh, Mike Cooley is hit or miss, but he's gotten better over the years. And so, yeah, they're that that's a cow that ain't ever going to die. Um, they're just um, another, another example of Hood's great songwriting on that album, The Unraveling from last year. There's mm-hmm. a song called Babies and Kids, which yeah. is exactly what you think about. You know, it's about the yeah. moral and ethical outrage toward the Trump administration's inhumane immigration policies at the border. Oh, yeah. They also released they released another album. They, they released two albums last year. The, the New OK basically is outtakes from The Unraveling and um, some recorded by each member distantly due to the coronavirus and assembled piecemeal by email. <laughs> and that it took the anger of The Unraveling it's a good record too. It took the and injected it with a combination of resignation and humor. Um, key track on that is Mike Cooley's "Sarah's Flame," that basically it's talking about the political how the political rise of Sarah Palin in two thousand eight marked the beginning of the dumbing down of the current political landscape and opened the cultural door that Donald Trump walked through eight years later. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. a. They, they, they really go deep on their own. They've been gone. They've gone politically deep on their last a couple of albums and they're still oh, great. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah, they're, they're I mean, they're uh, an unsung national treasure and, and, and it's interesting because unlike Kirk Kirkwood or Jay Maskus or these sort of uh, that almost the son of like mystical or mysterious rock God thing, Patterson hood is just a dude and yeah. he's, he's just a priest of pros pro and he's not, yeah. I mean, most people probably don't even know what Patterson Hood looks like. Um, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a beardy dude, but, uh, he, you know, I talked to him one time back in 2004 when he was on a bus and, uh, yeah. and he just, he was just a cool guy and just like a regular just dude. And, but he's just a, a really smart, uh, bright, uh, talented, uh, musician who just has a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to say. The coronavirus pandemic has had a huge impact on how almost everyone lives their lives. And nowhere has the impact been greater than in the music business, particularly in the touring industry. You may not be able to go out and see concerts on a regular basis right now. And if you're sick of seeing bands and artists perform in empty garage spaces on YouTube, the next best thing to the concert experience is that old rock and roll staple, the live album. Join us next week on the Curmudgeon Rock Report as Chris and I each give five recommendations for live albums that you should listen to. A few of these you've heard of, most of these you haven't heard of. Follow us on Twitter at at curmudgeonpod or email us at curmudgeonrock at gmail.com. All right, Chris. Now let's hear your cows. Let's hear about your cows. Okay, well... Uh, and like we said, we're going to keep the good vibes going here. We're talking about, again, uh, old cows still making uh, good milk. I'm going to start this uh, exercise with the most surprising one uh, on my list. And uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. ACDC. Uh, you would not think. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, you would not think that I would have ACDC on an album or, or on a list of these cows making good milk. But here's the thing. They're, they're kind of an amazing story these days. Now, obviously, it was 41 years ago, and this is how old we are. That was back in black was 41 years ago. Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, this is when Brian Johnson first comes in the band, and they come up with the formula that has carried them ever since. These big, fat, meaty riffs, very clean, very crisp, uh, swinging uh, big uh, drum beats from Phil Rudd, and just these really great uh, solo runs through Angus Young. And then Brian Johnson, uh, uh, just uh, uh, do your uh, do, do your impression of Brian Johnson singing uh, um, uh, Hell's Bells. <laughs> Hell's Bells! <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This... I, I, I'm I'm more of a Bon Scott guy. I prefer the Bon Scott era ACDC. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I sort of am too. I mean, you know, like Let There Be Rock is probably the best song that they they have in their catalog. I mean, that's just awesome. But they came up with this formula. They got huge. I mean, Back in Black, I think, is one of the top ten selling albums ever, and it's still, you know, it's still one of the great uh, uh, starter points for a rock uh, collection. But Essentially, they've been remaking that record ever since, and I think we're up to Back in Black Part 11. But here's the story, (laughs) and this is why they're on my list. So in 2014, uh, they did this real dog shit record. Uh, At that time, Malcolm Young was starting to uh, wither away from dementia. Uh, They brought in uh, the nephew of uh, Angus and Malcolm Young, to take Malcolm's place. And unless you think we're talking about young guy here, he's 64. This is the son of their oldest brother, uh, that, that takes over. But what happens after this is, uh, Phil Rudd gets himself arrested. Uh, Apparently there was a thought that he was trying to murder somebody for hire. And he, he, he made threats to kill. Yeah, he made threats to kill someone. They thought that it might be what they call procurement of murder. Uh, And when they arrested him, they found him with weed and and meth. And so this goes goes on for a couple years. He ends up spending like eight months. How old is Phil Rudd? He's got to be pushing 70. He's been around for a million years, you know. And uh, I mean, I meth at age 60s. Basically, yeah. So he's so he's he's whacked out, and so he goes away for a while. Brian Johnson, who uh, Brian Johnson has a race car uh, hobby, and he's on the, he's on the track one day, and he ruptures one of his eardrums. So now he loses half his hearing, and so he has to go away and wind down for a while because now he's just dysfunctional. He can't sing, and he can't hear himself. And then uh, Cliff Williams, their longtime bassist, decides to retire. Malcolm Young dies in 17. Now there is no ACDC. But, you know, through the uh, power of the rock gods, they decided to reunite at least for a couple of days or a couple of weeks somewhere in Canada, I think it was. And it was it was it was it was Angus. It was Stevie Young. It was Brian Johnson, Cliff Williams and Phil Rudd. And they did an album of stuff that basically it was all co-written by Angus and Malcolm and they scooped it all up. Brendan O'Brien produced it uh, and they finally released it during COVID-19 late last year called Power Up. And it is a very, very good record. It's their best record in 20 years. It's their best record since Stiff Upper Lip. 
and it's got all the stuff you would expect. Uh, you know, the big, clean, crisp uh, riffs and, you know, Brian Johnson, you know, screaming like, like, you know, a dog with his ball stepped on. Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, there's something to be said for this. Uh, one of my complaints about Smashing Pumpkins last week was that they, they didn't want to just keep reinventing the wheel. And I'm like, you know, fuck that. Keep reinventing the wheel because at least you won't suck. Uh, ACDC, <laughs> they, they just, ever since Brian Johnson joined the band, they have not touched the formula. And, okay, has the songwriting gone up and down? Sure. Razor's Edge, wonderful songs. Uh, for most of the last 30 years or so years, dog shit. But this record actually has some really good stuff. And one hey thing man, I, I, I like Black Ice from 2008. Yeah, Black Ice is, you know, well, and the, so did the world. That, that was their best-selling record of all time, actually, um, uh, I believe. But here's the thing. You know, one thing I'll say, you know, as a friend of mine likes to say, you, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. So uh, this, is, this is one way that I can give a really good ode uh, to ACDC and their consistency. And, you know, the milk never goes sour. So, so let's do uh, uh, a, a, a deep lyrical analysis comparison. So yes. from, 19, from, from <laughs> 1980s, uh, back in black, giving the dog a bone. And you've got the lyric, she take you down easy, going down to her knees, going down to the devil, down, down to 90 degrees. Oh, she's blowing me crazy till my ammunition is dry. Oh, she's using her head again. She's using her head. Oh, she's just using her head again. I'm just giving the dog a bone. Now, let so us... So respectful toward women. <laughs> yes. You know, that, 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 that is a respectful ode to all women, and we just love females, and we're just going to show how much we truly uh, appreciate their minds and their souls. Now, uh, 40 years later, 41 years later, now let's, uh, let's go over the lyrics to Money Shot. And uh, here we get uh, even less creative. And this is part of the lyrics. Now take this down. Going to send you on your way because I believe I solved your case. I'll give you your relief. Doctor, what's the antidote? Lady, try the money shot. Doctor, what's the antidote? Lady, try the money shot. We got a good cure for what ails you. It won't fail you. Try the money shot. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, and it's cringeworthy, dude. <laughs> yeah, it is cringeworthy, and 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 actually, it actually does make a a more explicit reference that I didn't want to make to what exactly the anecdote uh, is. Uh, so just you 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 use your imaginations. Uh, so yes, these are guys in their seventies that are uh, singing about semen. So they are a really hard cow to kill. Uh, they so, really are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, abs absolutely. You're, you know, you're talking about dirty old men singing about semen, and they were on the brink, and now they're back. So, uh, give it up this for you. briefly. This is where I stand on ACDC. Go ahead. When it's the bare bones remnants of the corpse of that band going on tour, it's basically uh, a few years ago. It was Angus Young and a bunch of like scrubs <laughs> and Axl Rose. Yeah, and uh, yeah, with Axl Rose as lead singer, opening up for Guns N' Roses. When ACDC has reached that point, they really should just break up and just end it, or at, or at least Angus Young go on go on as Angus Young. 
<laughs> yeah. it's, not like, it's, not like, it's not like nobody knows who he is. It's not like right. nobody knows that he isn't who he is. You know, it's it's it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, but but that's kind of why they're on this list, Arturo, is that they are they're a cow back from the dead. That uh, there is something to be said for uh, they they were basically in the barn with the sledgehammer cocked back, ready to put them out of their misery, and then somehow miraculously. The band gets back together and puts out one really strong, one more really strong record. So they actually survived the Axel and Scrubs phase when everybody either had to quit or got or went to prison or, you know, went deaf, all that. So give it up for them. So uh, moving on. Uh, next uh, band uh, to focus on uh, will be uh, the probably the youngest of the bands that we're focusing on. Uh, Run the Jewels. And so not really a rock group, more of a hip hop group. Yes, they are a hip hop group. And, but the milk is really good. I mean, this is the kind of, yeah, this is, this is the, uh, the best, this is chocolate milk. Uh, no, that's not a racial joke. It's, uh, (laughs) no, it's, uh, it's just really, really strong, sweet milk. And here's the thing. So these guys, uh, LP and killer Mike, uh, they are both, from 1975 vintage, which is our vintage. So yes, these guys are our age, but they count as old cows, especially in hip hop. Uh, and more on that subject a little bit later with another one of my cows. Uh, but here we have these two guys in their forties, uh, killer Mike LP. They both, uh, LP is a New Yorker. Uh, killer Mike is an Atlanta guy. Uh, killer Mike breaks out uh, doing guest verses with outcast. And did some pretty good solo records in in uh, about fifteen years ago, uh, and from there. And then LP was doing Company Flow uh, for Raucous Records back in the late nineties, and then he formed Def Jux and did some of the best uh, under the radar indie hip hop records of the early two thousands. Uh, Cannibal Ox, which is a personal favorite of mine, uh, the Cold Vein, and then he also did a couple of albums by Mers, uh, who back then was getting all this hype, but he might as well just be a, a greeter at Walmart's now. He's like kind of a, where are they now? Uh, dustbin of history. Yeah. Kind of guy. But anyway, these two come together in 2013 and form run the jewels and immediately. And since then, uh, even though they're these two old guys are the single best act in hip hop and have been for the last right eight. now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over that period, uh, among the young guys, it's Kendrick Lamarck, Lil Baby, uh, uh, probably, uh, and then some of the uh, the odd future guys. But uh, these guys have just been the best. And uh, their last album uh, last year, uh, Run the Jewels 4, was probably the best uh, album of last year and was certainly, I think, the best hip-hop record since uh, Kendrick's uh, To Pimp a Butterfly in 2015. And maybe even farther than that, it just um, it was just really remarkable. I think it's better than I think I think it's better than To Pimp a Butterfly. I think it's the best hip hop record of the past decade. I think it's really just up there with any of the classics by Kanye or Kendrick or anyone. It's really up there. Oh, absolutely! It's it's very very strong. And and this and this is the album in which uh, Killer Mike, who's always been a really interesting character, very. Uh, he's known uh, to most people uh, who don't listen to hip hop in this country as being a huge Bernie Sanders supporter. And so 
he would show up on CNN and actually Fox News uh, as a as a Bernie apologist, which is actually kind of funny because. Uh, <laughs> but but he's just really really good, and this album, the release of this album, could be more well timed because it came out right around the time that the George Floyd stuff and the the, yeah. the police, uh, brutality and the police murdering stuff was coming out last summer, and. Lo and behold, half of the lyrics are about being the endangered species of a black man in America. And, I mean, this is Killer Mike's finest moment. It's probably LP's best production uh, or series of beats since 2002, since the Cannibal Ox record. Uh, and, uh, hey, you got, you got to give it up for them. They managed to resurrect both Zach De La Rocca and Mavis Staples on the same record. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of, <laughs> uh, but there's just you know there's some remarkable lyrics on the on the record too. Uh, my favorite song on it is is just, uh, which you know is kind of a a superstar collective. This is uh, uh, Killer Mike at his best, but it's uh, Pharrell Williams doing the hook and then Zach Zach De La Rocca doing the uh, doing the outro. But you know there's just a a real uh, cleverness and a real uh, uh, surprising depth to what Killer Mike uh, is doing here. Uh, you know, some some of the lines. You know, he's you believe corporations run in marijuana? How'd that happen? And your country's getting run by a casino owner. Ooh, pedophiles sponsor all these fucking racist bastards. They do. And I told you once before that you should be killing your master. It's true. Now that's the line that's probably going to get my ass assassinated. Uh, so this is a really, really clever stuff uh, uh, from Mike. And then, of course, the uh, the hook on that song is, uh, you know, look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Uh, so uh, really, really just sort of uh, pushing the envelope stuff here in 2020. And, you know, lo and behold, it takes a couple of guys in their mid 40s uh, to do it. And so. Uh, there you go. Run the jewels. Uh, the, the best group in hip hop uh, with the best rapper, uh, arguably the best rapper in America uh, up there with Kendrick and, and little baby uh, and their guys our age. So, Hey man, keep making the good milk. Uh, I'm looking forward to run the jewels eight in about 10 years and you guys still dominating. So your thoughts. It's rare that I agree with every sentence Chris just uttered, but this is the case. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, next, uh, one of my old cows, uh, making good milk on this uh, list. And, uh, this may come as a surprise to some people that at least know us, but I'll, I still believe him. Uh, Wilco, uh, Wilco is still definitely making, uh, good milk. Uh, they were one of the best bands of the nineties. And they reached their apex with uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in 2001 slash 2002. In my opinion, the album of the noughties. That's the best album of the decade, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it certainly was up there. Uh, as, as, as rock albums goes, it, it probably was right there. Uh, and it's a brilliant record. Uh, however, that was their last record with Jay Bennett, who was uh, uh, basically he was... Uh, Tweedy's. He was he was Tweedy's musical, and basically he he was the the musical heart of Wilco. Jeff Tweedy was a songwriter, but Jay Bennett was the craftsman who 
put it all together, really. Yeah, pretty much. And, and, and co-wrote a lot of the songs and did the harmony vocals and did all of that. And so, but not only that, but there was, there was a life, there was a pop and a crackle that came out of those. There was an immediacy to those, uh, to those few Wilco records that just on first listen, you're just like, you don't care what they're saying. It's just gorgeous and it's perfect. And it's just this sort of uh, just gleeful, uh, joyful pop that actually has a lot to say. Now, since Jay Bennett has left the group and now he has passed away, uh, you know, RIP, uh, Arturo and I diverge in our opinions of Wilco. I actually am okay with most of the, po- the post-Jay Bennett uh, Wilco. I even like Sky Blue Sky, uh, which I know Arturo will, rep- will uh, have uh, repulsion at. Uh, it's, he it's the worst album in their catalog. Lazy, lazy, complacent AM radio fluff. It's just garbage. But terrible has, lyrics too. But has <laughs> one of the uh, uh, Tweedy's best five best songs on it, "Impossible Germany." Um, just a yeah. really strong record. And uh, strange but true. Actually, uh, Nels Klein doesn't. I think yeah, that's the first album that Nels Klein actually plays on. He didn't play on "A Ghost Is Born." But anyway, let's fast forward to today. Uh, they in uh, 2019 released Ode to Joy, uh, which was a very good record. And, uh, you know, some of it, 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 it's interesting because it probably their uh, their quietest record uh, that, you know, they're known for either being rollicking or being experimental or uh, if, if the stuff is not loud, it's noisy. Uh, whereas an Ode to Joy, the stuff basically is neither loud or noisy. Uh, and so it's this very quiet record. It's got a dirge like quality in some of the songs. Uh, there's a, a solemnity to it. Uh, like a lot of, uh, bands these days, there's a couple of, uh, anti-Trump, uh, uh, songs on there, but that's not the best stuff. Uh, I would say that there's a couple of, uh, extraordinary, uh, songs on there that are among the best Tweety's ever done. One is White Wooden Cross. Uh, which is this really mm-hmm. uh, nice uh, piano-driven uh, song of, of remembrance, um, a very wistful um, uh, song of, of loss. And then he's got another song, which is very waltzy and sounds like it actually belongs on Summer Teeth, uh, called An Empty Corner, which is kind of a, uh, a distant cousin of Via Chicago. Uh, and so... Uh, so Tweedy is still pulling out good stuff. He's not resting on his laurels. He's not coasting. Um, and like Arturo said, you know, like in Sky Blue Sky, he, you know, Sky, he, he committed the sin of being happy, uh, which, which, which really kind of, well, happy and sober. And then he, he really kind of committed that sin and did, you know, Wilco the album, which is just a bore fest. Uh, but Yo, then he also he mixed in the, the album from 2011, The Whole Love, which I think is one of their three or four best records. It's just some extraordinary stuff on that. Um, and now, and then they dipped, and now they're back with Ode to Joy. So it's kind of been a little bit of a roller coaster post Jay Bennett, but uh, Tweedy is still, he's still going. He's still relevant. Uh, he's still uh, writing and pumping out some really good songs. And right now, it's interesting to note that he released a solo record last year, which was very lauded. And so he still has his own thing. He's also playing with his kid uh, or his kids. Uh, so his sons are also professional musicians. And uh, yep. they also just released a deluxe version of Summer Teeth, 
um, which uh, is got a lot of outtakes and a lot of alternate takes on it. So that's worth checking out too, because Summer Teeth is probably their most underrated record. Absolutely. I, 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 that's, that was one part when, when that album came out in 1999, we were living together in New York and, and that was part of my soundtrack for, for the summer of 1999 um, was, was that, that, that particular album by Wilco. It's, it's, it's exactly what, I mean, if anybody hasn't heard it, that really is their first masterpiece uh, before Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It's exactly what you would expect if the Beach Boys, the band and REM got together. <laughs> yeah. Sound like this. Oh yeah. And and of course the funny part is is that they've got one song on there that actually sounds like the band Chicago. Uh so it, it's kind of a it, it's a it's a it's a sunny record, it's a warm record, it's got some you know, there are there are some dark masterpieces on there, but the uh the pop you know, I, I can't stand it and some of the like the first third of the record is basically just perfect. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Via Chicago later on. That may be one of Tweedy's other great songs, you know. Oh yeah. oh yeah. I mean there's there's some there's some remarkable stuff and then like Candy Floss, which is the 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 hidden track on that record is one of them. I mean, they, we saw them live in uh, New York in like 2000 and they bashed the fuck out of that song. You know, mm. I, I think in like one of the encores or something, they bashed out Candy Floss, which is just sort of extraordinary. Uh, so anyway, uh, they're making good music uh, still. They're, they're making good milk. Uh, check out Ode to Joy uh, and definitely check out Summer Teeth. Uh, that'll definitely be worth the exploration for what our next act Um and this is this is more of a kind of a, a a thing for me, and you know I am a big fan of of lilting sort of perfect uh, melodic harmony driven pop, uh, but done done loud, uh, done hard, and done weird. And so uh, the new pornographers are really a band that speaks to my heart. Um, and not really the new, see, here's the thing about the new pornographers. Uh, some of you uh, may know uh, their story. Uh, they've been around for 20 plus years now, and they started out as something akin to the Western Canada uh, super friends. And so you had uh, AC Newman, uh, Dan Behar and Nico Case, who all were uh, well-known prolific songwriters in Western Canada, and they decided to pool resources and uh, form this band. Uh, and just really strong pop songs that, uh, fun pop songs that featured uh, really great harmonies and really quirky lyrics and themes. Uh, but over the years, and again, I would say the electric version was one of my favorite albums of the aughts or, you know, the, uh, of the first decade of this um uh, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the electric version. If, I, if, I, can interject, if I can interject, sorry, if I can interject, um, their debut album, their first one, uh, it was from 2000, Mass Romantic. I yeah, believe. which is Mass Romantic, which and, is a great record. Yeah. But that that to me is one of the best uh, just pop albums of the noughties. And uh, that I mean, I still think I mean they they may still be making good music. I haven't been keeping up on them like you have. But uh, I still, they, I don't think they've bettered Mass Romantic. That that's just a classic. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. I I really like that record, but I also uh, I'm a huge fan of the electric version. I think their best song actually is from Blown Speakers. I mean, it's just like a perfect, uh, a perfect sort of a uh, uh, pop jangle. I mean, it's just this. Uh, 
you know, it kind of, it, it sounds like you would think a song called from blown speaker should sound like it's, it's got this sort of this <laughs> uh, almost, you know, it, it's interesting, just, just perfect. But these days uh, the band is really the AC Newman show. Uh, they used to be more of a democracy with the songwriting, but their last record, uh, which uh, is called in the Morse code of brake lights, which is a wonderful, mm. uh, is a wonderful title. Uh, a lot of car metaphors going on in the record, but it's uh, uh, as they've gotten older, they've gotten a little bit more elect- electronic, a little bit more electro. So it's it, it's it's almost sort of retro, um, early mid eighties in uh, musicality or in, in the in the instrumentation, but it's still that kind of uh, complex, clever, almost show offy kind of perfect pop that uh, AC Newman uh, is one of the best at. Uh, and uh, in the Morse code of Brick Lights, a very strong record. It's all AC Newman with the exception of one song that's co-written by Dan Behar and Dan Behar didn't even participate in the sessions. Uh, and, you know, with Nico Case singing hooks, uh, I don't think it's as good as 2014's Brill Bruisers which is their sec? I think is their second best record. Honestly, I'd go electric version, Brill Bruisers and Mass Romantic. Uh, hmm. But yeah, Newman, Newman is an old cow. Uh, he's, he's another one of these guys. He's not quite like these American guitar gods from the indie scene that Arturo was talking about, but his Western Canada uh, uh, sort of uh, what would be, I mean, a good, not McCartney, but, but but almost like an Alex Chilton. He's almost like a Canadian Alex Chilton, uh, in his ability to come up with these sort of that, that, uh, that, that, that's that's a good comparison because I've always I've always heard a distinct big star influence in the new pornographers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he's a Canadian Alex Chilton. The guy's got uh, more talent in his pinky than most people have in their entire bodies. And he'll keep pumping out these really interesting, really angular, really gymnastic pop songs uh, that just have these beautiful choruses and these beautiful harmonies. And and again, Nico Case is the secret weapon. Uh, AC Newman, it's basically his band. He does all the writing. He does all the organization. But Nico Case, so long as she's there, uh, the, he, he does the writing. She does the harmony vocals. And they keep just making brilliant, uh, brilliant pop. And will always be interesting. Is Nico still there? Is she still with the new pornographers? Is she yes, still she is. Stuff with him? Yes, she is. Yep she she doesn't really? write for him, but she, but you know, her most of her stuff is either she'll lead sing or she'll harmony sing, and it's always been that way. She's she's done very little writing for them uh, over the course. It's usually it's always been AC Newman or Dan Behar, um, and maybe she did a little bit of writing on Mass Romantic, but. You know, which is funny because she's she's well known as being a, a wonderful songwriter. Like her, you know, she's got this sort of country yeah. vibe uh, to her. But in in the new pornographers context, she's just a uh, she's just there for the fun. You know, she's just there for uh, to add flavor. It's really AC Newman's band. So uh, he's an old cow. He's still making good music. Uh, they're still relevant. Uh, check them out. Like I said, the last album is called In the Morse Code of Brake Lights. But I, I more recommend Brill Bruisers from 2014 if you wanted to catch up on them. Yeah, one of the themes I guess you'll you'll notice, uh, folks, that a, a lot of these artists, uh, we're, we're talking about them and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, they were great. Wait, wait, wait. They're still doing stuff. And <laughs> you know, 
And they kind of fell off a lot of your radars and may, in a couple of instances, my radar, maybe 14, 13 years ago. And, and yes, these out, these bands, bands still do put out records in the 2010s, uh, you know, that were established. And so, you know, some of this is catch up. And so uh, we're doing that for you, uh, which actually kind of leads to uh, my fifth and final cow. And one of the more interesting uh, entrants among the 10 of us, uh, the, 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 the 10 of these records, Public Enemy. Uh, Testify, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the thing about Public Enemy is uh, they're a band, they're kind of like the Fleetwood Mac of hip-hop in the sense that uh, they've almost <laughs> been dying for 30-something years. I mean, going back to all that. That is not a compliment. That is not a compliment. <laughs> yeah, not really. But yeah, you would think that I'm putting them out the pasture, but no. Um They've managed to stay viable somehow, some way. I mean, this, you know, I guess they, they've always been steeped in controversy. Going back to 1989 with all that progressive Professor Griff bullshit when when Griff was out there talking uh, uh, black, uh, black Muslim, uh, Farrakhan, uh, 5% nonsense and, you know, right. talking, talking political violence and they had to fire him. Uh, and so ever since then, and, you know, and then Flavor Flav has been in and out of sobriety and in and out of uh, favor. And they keep going up and down, but they still manage to uh, have a real voice in the hip hop conversation and they still keep pumping out good music. Uh, they actually came out with one of the more surprisingly great albums of 2020, which they recorded on lockdown and it was their best record in forever. Uh, and, uh, you know, this came out, it was, a 2020 PE record uh, that uh, just came out uh, last year. And it uh, it's kind of what you would expect uh, here. They are the OGs. They go back to the eighties. They're in their fifties. And so of course they're not going to try to uh, compete in the young man's game. These guys are old farts. Uh, and they're coming at it, the perspective of old farts, but they're old fart radicals. <laughs> and so it's it's a right. really, it's a really interesting mix. And so uh, the album's title is "What You Gonna Do When the Grid Goes Down." Uh, so uh, they're definitely in revolutionary mode. But it's basically it's the equivalent of a, a rap reunion record. And so you've got uh, "Be Real." You've got a track called "State of the Union," which is the best song on it. Uh, from, uh, that's produced by DJ Premier. Uh, that's their anti-Trump song. Uh, they've got a, um, a song on here called Public Enemy Number One, uh, with, with one spelled W-O-N, which is hilarious because it's the two surviving members of the Beastie Boys and Run DMC, and basically just sort of rem- reminiscing about the <laughs> Def Jam, basically reminif- re- reminiscing about the Def Jam tour that made them all famous. <laughs> so there's a couple of fascinating things about this record. I mean, one, just really strong beats. Uh, Chuck D definitely still has it, uh, still has the fire, uh, and it's still reminding everybody of why he's one of the best rappers who ever lived. And then, uh, there's a remix of Fight the Power, which is always a good idea, uh, because that's one of the single greatest beats in the history of hip hop. But this is, this one's weird because it's got, uh, Nas and Black Thought, and then of all people, YG, uh, <laughs> rapping on it. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really strange. The highlight of this record, though, is called Yesterday Man, which is really, really funny. And basically, uh, Chuck, Chuck D saying, 
you know, fuck the present, fuck the future. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm from my era and we're from our era and we get to be cranky old men. And the funny part is, is they're right because hip hop really has gone to shit <laughs> since, since they were, yeah. since they, they were at the height of their popularity and of all people to bring out of the mothballs to help them sing this, uh, or to, to present this daddy-o from, remember daddy-o from Stetsasonic? Yeah. No, uh, I don't. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Daddy-O was uh, among that initial group of post-Rakim, well, the sort of the contemporaries of Rakim and KRS-One and all these guys that sort of changed the lyrical uh, and uh, uh, rapper paradigm back in the late 80s. And and, uh, Stetsasonic was one of the first groups to embrace jazz samples and sort of jazz uh, uh, influence in in their work. And Daddy-O was their rapper. Uh, and he's definitely a guy that, uh, he was hot 87, 88, 89. And then, you know, like kind of like D nice too. They all like fell off the face of the earth and only like, you know, five or six of those guys, if anybody can still remember. So they bring daddy up out of the mothball. And, and, and this shit is great because, uh, in the chorus, uh, they, uh, they, they ask these sort of rhetorical, uh, uh, questions and it gets funny. It's like, is rap still the black CNN? What happened? A run DMC still uh, a run and DMC still friends. What happened? And so it, it's this very sort of crusty, sort of uh, you know, just sort of shrugging your shoulders, uh, almost angry. But it's got this awesome, like anything else with P. You know, P is you know as a hip hop band, they're the hip hop band that rocks. Uh, if you were to answer the question, which hip hop band rocks balls the most? Uh, easy answer, mm-hmm. Public Enemy, uh, and they're still rocking. And just a lot of great guitar uh, driven beats, a lot of uh, banging ass drums on this thing. And again, it's just got uh, cameos from everybody in the world. Uh, hell, there's a there's a track with uh, Ice-T and EPMD on there. Uh, so he's bringing out. Yeah, they're bringing out all the Def Jam all stars <laughs> on, on, <this, laughs> on this record. So it's uh, it's those guys. Those guys didn't make that much money in royalties, so they need the money. Yeah, pretty much. And they made it. And, uh, and Flavor Flav is still there. And, uh, I mean, essentially this album is the equivalent of a Partridge family reunion. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, let's, let's, let's bring all the guys back together and, and, and do this. It's a reverent record, but it's also, again, it's relevant. You know, there's enough anti-Trump there and there's enough righteous, uh, indignation from guys in their fifties, uh, to, to make it relevant. So definitely still making good, Good milk, uh, and uh, you know Chuck D is another one of those guys. He's a legend for a reason. And in case you forgot, he reminded you all last year with that album. So what you gonna do when the grid goes down? Uh, go check it out. And those are my cows that are still making uh, good milk. And hereby ends the bovine trilogy. It's been real. It's been fun, and uh, it's been really exciting to get through this. During our last episode. I laid waste to Billy Corgan as an old cow that needs to be put out to pasture. Well, a Twitter user whose feed is named Cowboy Billy Corgan took notice and liked our post-teasing said beatdown. At first, it's hard to tell if our new social media friend is being a serious fanboy or not. Spend a few minutes scrolling through the feed, though, and it becomes one of the funniest things we've seen on the internet in a long time. Turns out Cowboy Billy Corgan isn't the only Billy to be found in the ridiculous photos of the insufferable one shared here. Lately, there's been Who Clogged the Tour Bus Toilet Billy, there's been BDSM Life Support Billy, 
there's been Spaceship Commander Billy. The journey through a thousand Billies makes our point better than we ever could have imagined ourselves. Our friend mixes things up in the feed to include digs at Glenn Danzig and Morrissey, and also puts in some truly strange musings, such as this recent gem, Kid A, but all the drums are 808s, and all the vocals are rave horns. Uh, thanks, we think. So yeah, you should check out Cowboy Billy Corgan too. Visit at Stonecutters138 on Twitter today and take a whiff of some wonderfully weird shit. Now uh, we will uh, head home and go on the home stretch of this episode with how we usually will end our episodes. And this is our foray into the vault where uh, each week uh, one of us pulls up uh, or pulls out a record uh, deep from the retresses of our minds, or at least our CD collection, and uh, drop a little knowledge for all you youngins out there looking for a uh, uh, looking for a resource from the past. So, Arturo, what are you pulling out of the vault right. this week? What I'm pulling out of the vault, Bill, you mentioned that band, the band Slift, and their record Uman, and related to that. This is a band that is a huge, huge influence on Slift, and they are the British space rock group Hawkwind. Now, for those of you who never heard of Hawkwind, um, I'm sure you must have heard of Motorhead, the band Motorhead, right? The heavy metal speed freak band Motorhead, great band. Um, their lead singer, bass player, songwriter, rest in peace, uh, Lemmy Kilmeister. This was the band he was in before Motorhead. And he was there for a brief run in the early to mid-70s. And that's when Hawkwind, coincidentally, made their best albums, their best work. Now, Hawkwind, as in Lemmy's words, were basically Pink Floyd with balls. <laughs> basically, really, really heavy riffing. It's like psychedelic heavy metal is yep. basically what Hawkwind were. Uh, really trippy, lots of um, weirdo sci-fi gonzo lyrics. Songs about traveling with robots and in space, uh, tra transversing interdimensional goodness and all kinds of crap. And they really were, you know, kind of a remnant of the 1960s, but pumped up with steroids and lots of LSD. And that's basically what Hawkwind were. They were just like Pink Floyd, but rocked the hell out. And... They were very influential, especially in this new wave of space rock that we've got, like King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard and Slift and the OCs and Ty Siegel, who has uh, gone on record saying Hawkwind is, quote, my favorite fucking band. <laughs> yeah, and, and Ty Siegel's the one I forgot when I was covering Slift. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So on uh, their album I recommended, their greatest work, uh, 1972's Doremi Fasol Latido. Um, their, their most well-known work is the live album from 1973 of Space Ritual, but I'm going with the studio album. Uh, Doremi Fasol Latido is basically everything Hawkwind, everything that's good about Hawkwind put in one concise package. Uh, Brainstorm may be one of the greatest opening tracks in rock history. It is the, it is the most punk rock riff you can imagine John Lydon has gone on record saying without the riff to brainstorm, there would be no Sex Pistols <laughs> because there's so many bands. Just that one song, Brainstorm, 
influenced so many bands, and not just in heavy metal, but in punk rock as well. And what makes Hawkwind special is they always had one foot in metal, one foot in punk, uh, kind of like Motorhead themselves. And um, punk, they're the band that, for people who hate psychedelic hippie music, you're going to like Hawkwind because they're edgy enough, they're heavy enough, and they're bold and daring and really, really um, innovative in, in, in their sound and what they did, um, pumping out this kind of deep, heavy psychedelia, even in the early 70s, as rock and roll was veering away from psychedelia. Hawkwind kind of kept it away, kept it alive with just, you know, heavy riffing, um, really interesting song structures and just uh, just gonzo lyrics. <laughs> and to this day, Hawkwind are still active. Basically, Hawkwind is the Dave Brock show. He is the lead singer, guitarist, and main songwriter. And Hawkwind for 50 years, they started in 1970, and they're still going, even though Dave Brock is, he turns 80 this year. But uh, Hawkwind is still alive. They're still, you know, and they would still be touring if it weren't for COVID-19. So for any of you, if you're interested in just, you know, mind-blowing, heavy, psychedelic space rock and heavy riffage, go listen to Hawkwind's classic from 1972, uh, Do Re Mi Fa Sol Latido. Highly recommend. Uh, so uh, there you go. So for my album, uh, and this is, this is a strange one, and, you know, once in a while, we'll we'll get a little uh, weird uh, with these with these recommendations. Uh, so this past week, uh, Mary Wilson, who was one of the three gals or one of the three women that made up the Supremes, died uh, this uh, this past week, and it was yet a another uh, reminder that uh, the golden age or the uh, the pioneers of early rock and roll are fading away and that you know, this is sort of you know putting us face to face with our mortality in some ways and so i figured you know i hadn't really had a supremes phase since i was a kid or a motown phase and so i went sort of digging in the crates and wanted to look at the supremes now we all know that they had their hits uh baby love and and all of that you know, great Holland, Dozier Holland uh, stuff and, and Barry Gordy stuff and uh, all of those uh, great Motown songwriters. But they also, like a lot of those girl groups back then, uh, they were subjected to doing some weird shit. <laughs> you know, that, you know, all those all those girl groups had a Christmas album. They all had uh, sort of uh, these, these concept records. And the Supremes were no different. And they were subject to, which actually kind of shows just how on uh, point Motown was in 1965. We got the Supremes sang country, Western, and pop. Uh, and uh, so um, imagine the Supremes singing Funny How Time Slips Away by Willie Nelson. Uh, it's done in the Motown style with with those harmonies uh it's it's actually not as goofy as it sounds it actually works this is the the motown take on willie nelson and you know you also have it makes no difference now by jimmy davis and floyd tillman uh you've got lazy bones by hoagie carmichael uh you've got uh a few others uh, in there 
But uh, here's the the strangest part of this record. Uh, so you've got okay. So they're singing country, western, and pop. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but Motown must have either been not bringing in the money as quickly as you thought they would, or they were just cheap because you would think that, you know, they would be singing it, you know, I'm so lonesome. I could cry and all this other, you know, Jimmy Rogers and Hank Williams shit. No, actually most of the record was written in house by uh, one of the Motown writers named Clarence Paul and Barry Gordy writes a song himself called the man with the rock and roll banjo band. Uh, which is very hokey, but very fun, and just shows that Barry Gordy could phone it in and still write a good record. So here's the Supremes. It's a gimmick record, but indicative of just how on top of the world Motown was and how strong of a girl group harmony uh, group that they were and the star watch that the Supremes had. So definitely check out that record. It's a weird listen. Uh, but in some ways a very fascinating listen and just kind of showed uh, just how versatile the Supremes and the Motown uh, could be. So creation is one of their yeah. great beats for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. So definitely yeah. check out that country record. So anyway, I think that brings us to another, to the end of another uh, curmudgeonly adventure. And uh, really excited to have the the Bofine trilogy out there and set in stone uh, for everyone. Uh, I hope that you're having as much fun listening to this podcast as we are uh, uh, definitely recording it. So, uh, Arturo, any any final uh, parting thoughts? No, we 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 got through our first uh, our, our first real serious series, and looking forward to next uh, next week. When we start talking about, well, as we know, um, the coronavirus has affected everyone. You can't really go to live shows anymore, you, you, or unless you want to watch, you know, um, you know, bands perform in, in their garages on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, but starting next episode, we're going to give uh, our recommendations for live albums. Another positive episode, not not so much criticizing in this one as well. We're going to be giving live album recommendations. Yes, um, yes. We're going to we're going to go into we're going to go into the live records, and uh, just as a caveat, uh, we have uh, willfully disqualified uh, live from uh, live at Fillmore East and uh, live at Leeds because those are the two live records everybody loves. So we are willfully avoiding those. So that'll leave you with some intrigue. What albums are their curmudgeons going to pick from the live canon? And then we've kind of developed a series out of this too, like the, the premise of, of COVID bringing the live music industry to its knees. And so uh, next week we'll be doing uh, the live albums. Uh, the next week we'll be doing concert films. And then the week after that, we'll be bringing our, our friend and uh, uh very renowned science writer, Mike Eisenstein to contemplate just what uh, music or live music will look like uh, once this virus has passed and well, will it exist? And so we'll just have that uh, discussion about the best way to reopen everything and, and what's possible. So uh, that's, what's coming next from us. Uh, you know, again, this has been a delight. Uh, we should mention uh, as always catch us at, on Twitter at curmudgeon pod. Uh, and uh, give us a shout via email, curmudgeonrock at gmail.com. 
and you know tell us your thoughts and opinions and complaints. Uh, if you want to call us assholes, uh, go right ahead. Uh, and then we also are up on Patreon. Uh, that's where you can find our downloadable show notes, and we have a tip jar set up uh, there. So uh, keep supporting this uh, rock nerd uh, and rock conversational rock podcast community and throw us a few bucks. So uh, with that, uh, we, we bid you uh, farewell. The curmudgeon rock report will keep on rocking if you do. Catch us where you catch all the podcasts. We know you love rock and roll as much as we do. Support us with donations at patreon.com slash curmudgeonrock. Find show notes and more on our Medium site. Join us next time as rock nerds smack you with knowledge. Stay rude, stay crude, stay sophisticated. Thank you for listening.